Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Peyton was just practicing numbers, very Klaus-like of you, and she said my phone number and we had to delete it and start over. Yeah, because mom, it said... Yeah? It said it right the there? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. It's the start of the time. Yeah, that's true. That's funny. Okay. We're on the last chapter of the fifth book and it's getting good because the quagmire triplets are nowhere to be seen. Do you know what happened to them? No. What? I mean, yes. Okay. Oh my gosh, I was like, you should. Chapter 13, The Oster Academy, A Series of Unfortunate Events, Book the Fifth. But they do get saved, but they don't, but the Quagmire triplets don't stay with um, them. Baudelaire's? Okay. Yeah. All right. Are you guys ready? <laughs> they do get Ooh. Saved. Hi, Herbrisha. Oh my gosh, didn't you sneeze in the last episode too? How funny, or the one before that. But okay. The, what? They don't get, they do get saved by the Budawares, but mm-hmm. they don't stay with the Budawares, but they get saved. I remember what happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I mean, part of what happens anyways. Oh, here she goes again. Achoo! <laughs> All right. Where are they? Violet cried as Coach Genghis stopped in the shack. What have you done with them? Normally, of course, one should begin a conversation with something more along the lines of, Hello, how are you? But the eldest Baudelaire was far too distressed to do so. Genghis's eyes were shining as brightly as they could be, but his voice was calm and pleasant. Here they are, he said, holding up the ribbon and the glasses. I thought you might be worried about them, so I brought them over first thing in the morning. We don't mean these things. These them, Klaus said, taking the items from Genghis's scraggly hands. I mean them. I'm afraid I don't understand what all of them's, all those them's, that or- Genghis said, shrugging at the adults. The orphans ran laps last night as part of the SOAR program, but they had to dash off in the morning to take their exams. In a hurry, and in their hurry, Violet dropped her ribbon and Klaus dropped his glasses. But the baby, well... You know very well that that's not what happened, Violet interrupted. Where are the quagmire triplets and what have you done with our friends? What have you done with our friends, Vice Principal Nero said in his mocking tone. Stop making nonsense, orphans. I'm not talking nonsense, Genghis. I'm afraid it's not nonsense, Genghis said, shaking his turbaned head and continuing his story as i was saying before the little girl interrupted me the baby didn't dash off with the other orphans she just sat there like a sack of flour so when i walked over to grab her and gave her a kick to get her moving excellent idea nero said what a wonderful story this is and then what happened well at first it seemed like i'd been kicking a hole in the baby ginga said his eyes shining which seemed luckily because Sunny was a terrible athlete and it would have been a blessing to put her out of her misery. What the heck? Nero clapped his hands. I know just what you mean, Genghis. He said, she's a terrible secretary as well. But she did all the stapling, Miss Romero 
protested. Shut up and let the coach finish his story. But when I looked down, Genghis continued, I saw that I hadn't kicked a hole in the baby. I kicked a hole in a bag of flour. I'd been tricked. <gasps> this is terrible, Nero cried. So I ran after Violet and Klaus. Genghis continued, and I found out that they weren't Violet and Klaus after all, but the two other orphan twins. They're not twins, Violet cried. They're triplets. They're triplets, Nero, Nero mocked. Don't be an idiot. Triplets are when four babies are born at the same time, and there are only Three. two quagmires. And these two quagmires were pretending to be Baudelaire's in order to give the Baudelaire's extra time to study. I know that it's quadruplets. Extra time to study, Nero said, grinning in delight. He, he, he. What? Why? That's cheating. That's not cheating, Mrs. Bass said. Skipping gym class to study is cheating. No, it's just good management, Romera argued. There's nothing wrong with athletics, but it shouldn't get in the way of your schoolwork. Look, I'm the vice principal, the vice principal said, and I say that the Baudelaire's were cheating, and therefore, hooray, I can expel them. You two are merely teachers, so if you what? disagree with me... If one thing, they get expelled? Mm-hmm. I can expel you, too. Mr. Ramora looked at Mrs. Bass, and they both shrugged. You're the boss, Nero, Mr. Ramora said finally, taking another banana out of his pocket. If you say they're expelled, they're expelled. Well, I say they're expelled, Nero said, and Sunny loses her job, too. Ranta, Sunny shrieked, which meant something along the lines of, I never wanted to work as a secretary anyways. Well, we don't care about being expelled, Violet said. We want to know what happened to our friends. Well, the quagmires had to be punished for their part of cheating, Coach Genghis said. So I brought them over to the cafeteria and they put, and put these two workers in charge of them. They'll be whisking eggs all day long. Very okay, good. Very sensible, Nero agreed. I forgot about I didn't I didn't say this in this. In, in the book. movie. That's all they're doing, Klaus said suspiciously. Whisking eggs. That's what I said, Coach Genghis said, and leaned close to the Baudelaire's so that all they could see were his shiny eyes and his crooked curve of his mouth. Those two quagmires will whisk whisk and whisk until they're simply whisked away. You're a liar, Violet said, insulting your coach, Nero said, shaking his pigtailed head. You're no doubtedly expelled expelled what what's this the voice said from the doorway doubly expelled the voice stopped to have a long wet cough the Baudelaire's knew without looking it was mr poe he was standing in the orphan shack holding a large stack of paper looking busy and confused what are all of you doing here this doesn't look like a proper place to have a conversation it's just an old shack what are you doing here nero asked we don't allow strangers to wander proof preparatory school. Pose the name, said Mr. Poe, shaking Nero's hand. You must be Nero. We've talked on the phone. I've recently telegrammed about 28 bags of candy and 10 pairs of earrings with precious stones. My, oh, I've been, oh, I received a telegram about the 28 pounds of candy and 10 pairs of precious earrings with precious stones. My so associates at Muckjury Management thought that I'd better deliver them in person. So here I am. But what's this about being expelled? These orphans you foisted on me, Nero said with a nasty word for Gave. I have been have proven to be terrible cheaters and I'm forced to expel them. Cheaters? Mr. Poe said, frowning at the three siblings. Violet, Klaus, Sonny, I'm very disappointed in you. You promised me that you'd be excellent students. Well, actually, 
Only Violet and Klaus were students, Nero said. Sonny was the administrative assistant, but she was terrible as well. Mr. Poe's eyes widened in surprise as if he were as if he paused to cough into a white a white handkerchief. An administrative assistant, he repeated. Why, Sonny's only a baby. She should be in preschool, not in an office environment. Well, it doesn't matter now, Nero said. They're all expelled. Give me all that candy. Klaus looked down at his hands, which were still clutching the quagmire's notebooks. He was afraid that the notebooks might be the only sign of the quagmire's that he would ever see again. We don't have any time to argue about candy, he tried. Count Olaf has done something terrible to our friends. Count Olaf, Mr. Poe said, handing Nero the stack of paper. Don't tell me he's found you here. No, of course not, Nero said. My advanced computer system has kept him away, of course, but the children have this bizarre notion that Coach Genghis is actually Olaf in disguise. Count Olaf, Genghis said slowly. Yes, I've heard of him. He's supposed to be the best actor in the world. I'm the best gem teacher in the world, so we couldn't possibly be the same person. Mr. Poe looked at Coach Genghis and looked at him up and down, then shaked his head. Sh- uh, shook his head. Shaked, oh my gosh. Shaked is not a word, you guys. A pleasure to meet you, he said, and then turned to the Baudelaire children. Children, I'm surprised at you. Even without Without an advanced computer system, you should be able to tell that this man isn't Count Olaf. Olaf has one eyebrow, and this man is wearing a turban. And Olaf has a tattoo of an eye on his ankle, and this man is wearing expensive running shoes. They are quite handsome, by the way. Oh, thank you, Coach Ginga said. Unfortunately, thanks to these children, they have flour all over them. But I'm sure it'll wash off. If he removes his turban and his shoes, Violet said impatiently, you'll be able to see that he is Olaf. We've been wait, we've been through this before, Nero said. He can't take off his running shoes because he's been exercising and his feet smell. And I can't take off my turban for religious reasons, Genghis added. You're not wearing a turban for religious reasons, Klaus said. It's in disgust and Sonny shrieked something in disagreement. You're wearing it as a disguise. Please, Mr. Poe, make him take it off. Now, Klaus, Mr. Poe said sternly, you have to learn to be accepting of other cultures. I'm sorry, Coach Genghis. The children aren't usually prejudiced. That's quite all right, Genghis said. I'm used to religious persecution. However, Mr. Poe continued, after a brief coughing spell, I would ask you to remove your running shoes only if to see if the Baudelaire's were to see the Baudelaire's at ease. I think that we can all stand a little smelliness if it's in the case of criminal justice. Smelly feet, Mrs. Bass said, wrinkling her nose. Ew, gross. I'm afraid I cannot take off my running shoes, Coach Genghis said, taking a step towards the door. I need them. You need them? Nero asked. For what? Coach, mm-hmm. Coach Genghis took a long, long look at the three Baudelaire's and smiled a terrible toothy grin. For running, of course, he said, and ran out the door. The orphans were startled for a moment, not only because he had started running so suddenly, but also because it seemed like he had given up so easily. After his long, elaborate plan, disguising himself as a gym teacher, forcing the Baudelaire's to run laps, getting expelled, he was suddenly racing across the lawn without even glancing back at the children, and he'd been chasing the children he'd been chasing for a long time. The Baudelaire stepped out of the orphan shack, and Coach Genghis had turned back to sneer at them. I don't think I... Don't think I've given up on you, orphans, he called to them. In the meantime, I have two little prisoners with a very nice fortune of their own. Oh, great. He has the tw- the triplets. Yeah. He, be- yep. he began to run again, but not f- 
not before pointing a bony finger across the lawn. The Baudelaire's gasped at the far end of Proofrock Prep as they saw a long black car with smoke billowing out of the exhausted pi- of the exhaust pipes. The children were not gasping at air pollution. The two cafeteria workers were walking towards the car, but they had taken off their metal masks at last, and the three youngsters could see that the two powder-faced women who were the comrades of Count Olaf's, but this was not the child- what the children were gasping at either, although it was a surprise and distressing turn of events. What they were gasping at was that the eat each of the women was dragging towards the car. Each powder, oh bless you, powdered face woman was dragging. Bless you, you little sneezing girl. Quag, one of the quagmire triplets who was struggling desperately to get away. Put them in the back seat. Genghis called. I'll drive. Hurry. What in the world is Coach Genghis doing with those children? Mister Poe asked, frowning. The Baudelaire's did not even turn to Mister Poe to try to explain. After all the sore training sessions. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny found that their leg muscles could respond instantly if they wanted to run, and the Baudelaire orphans had never wanted to run more than they did now. After them, Violet cried, and the children went after them. Violet ran, her hair flying wildly behind them. Klaus ran, not even bothering to drop the quagmire notebooks, and Sunny crawled as fast as her legs and her hands could carry her. Mr. Poe gave a startled cough and began running after them, and Nero, Mr. Romero, and Mrs. Bass began running after Mr. Poe. <sighs> if you had been hiding behind the archway, spying on what was going on, you would have seen what looked like a strange race on the front lawn, with Coach Genghis running in front, the Baudelaire orphans right behind, and the assorted adults huffing and puffing behind the children. But if you continued watching, you would see an exciting development in the race. A phrase here which means that the Baudelaire's were gaining on Genghis. And the coach had much longer legs than the Baudelaire's, of course. But he had spent the last ten nights standing and blowing and whistling. The children had spent those nights running hundreds of laps around the luminous circle. And their tiny, strong legs, in Sonny's case, arms, were were overcoming Genghis's height advantage. <clears throat> I hate to pause at such a suspenseful part of the story, but I must intrude and give you one last warning as we reach the end of this miserable tale. You probably are thinking that as you read this, the children were catching up to their enemy, but perhaps this was the time of their lives of the Baudelaire orphans would, when this terrible villain would finally be caught, and perhaps the children would find some guardians that Violet, Klaus, and Sunny would spend the rest of their lives in relative happiness, possibly creating the printing business they had discussed with the Quagmires, and you are free to believe that this is how the story turns out if you want. The last few events of this chapter of the Baudelaire orphans' lives are incredibly unfortunate and quite terrifying, and so if you prefer to ignore them entirely, you should put this book down now and start to think of a gentle ending to this terrible story. I have made a solemn promise to the right to write to the Baudelaire orphans' history exactly as it occurred, but you have made no such promise, at least as far as I know, and you do not... You do not need to endure the wrenching end of this story, and this is your very last chance to save yourself from the woeful knowledge of what happens next. You want to read on? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's find out what happens. Violet was the first to reach Coach Genghis as she stretched her arms out as far as she could to be a part of, to grabbing a part of his turban. Turbans, you probably know, consist of just one piece of cloth wrapping very tightly in a complicated way around someone's head. 
Coach, but Coach Genghis cheated, not knowing that the proper way to tie a turban because he was wearing it as a disguise and not really for religious reasons. He had merely wrapped it around his head the way you might wrap a towel around yourself after getting, af- while getting out of the shower. So when Violet grabbed the turban, it unraveled immediately. She had been hoping that grabbing this turban would stop Coach Genghis from running, but all it did was leave her a long piece of cloth in her hands. Um, Coach Genghis kept running, his one eyebrow glistening with sweat over his shiny eyes. Look, Mr. Poe said, with far, wh- who was far behind the Baudelaire's, but close enough to see, Genghis only has one eyebrow like Count Olaf. Sunny was the next Baudelaire to reach Genghis. She reached him by crawling. Come on. To reach Genghis because she was crawling on the ground and she was a perfect position to attack his shoes. Using all four of her sharp teeth, she bit one pair of his shoelaces and then the other, and the knots came undone immediately, leaving a tiny bite pieces of shoelaces on the brown lawn. Sunny had been hoping that untying his shoes would make the coach trip, but Coach Genghis merely stepped out of his shoes and kept running. Like many disguised people, Coach Genghis was not wearing socks, so with each step, his ankle, his eye tattoo glistening with sweat on his left ankle, Look, Mr. Poe said, who was still too far to help but close enough to see. Genghis has an eye tattoo like Count Olaf. In fact, I think he is Count Olaf. Wow, they never (sighs) Of course he is, Violet cried, holding the unraveled turban. Murd, Sunny shrieked, holding up a tiny piece of shoelace. She meant something like, that's what we've been trying to tell you. Klaus, however, did not say anything. He was putting all of his energy into running, running. But he was not running towards the man. He was not running towards the man we finally can call by his true name, Count Olaf. He was running towards the car. The powdered-faced women were shoving the quagmires into the back seat, and he knew that this might be his only chance to rescue them. Klaus, Klaus, Isadora cried as, as he reached the car. Klaus dropped the notebook on the ground and grabbed his friend's hand. Help us! Hang on, Klaus said, cried as he began to drag Isadora out of the car. Without a word, the powdered-faced woman leaned forward and bit Klaus's hand, forcing him to let go of the triplet. But the other powdered-faced woman leaned across Isadora's lap and began pulling the door closed. No! Klaus cried and grabbed onto the door handle. Back and forth, Klaus and Olaf's associate tugged on the door, forcing it halfway open and halfway shut. Klaus, Duncan cried from behind Isadora. Listen to me, Klaus. If anything goes wrong, nothing will go wrong, Klaus promised, pulling on the door handle as hard as he could. You'll be out of here in a second. If anything goes wrong, Duncan said, there's something that you should know. When we were researching the history of Count Olaf, we found something dreadful. We can talk about this later, Klaus said, struggling with the door. Look in the notebooks, Isadora cried. The... The powder-faced woman put her hand on Isadora's mouth so she couldn't speak. Isadora turned her head roughly and slipped from the woman's grasp. The the powder woman covered her mouth again. Hang on, Klaus called desperately. Hang on. Look inside the notebooks. FVD. Duncan screamed, but the other woman's powdery hand covered her mouth before he could continue. What? Klaus said. Duncan shook his head vigorously at the, and freed himself and the, from the woman's hands for just one moment. V-O-V-F-D, he managed to scream again. And that was the last Klaus heard. Count Olaf, who had been running slower without his shoes, reached the car, and with a deafening roar, he grabbed Klaus's hand, pried it loose from the car door as the car door slammed shut. 
Olaf kicked Klaus in the stomach, sending him falling to the ground and landing in a rough thump near the quagmire's notebooks he had dropped. The villain... I know, isn't it interesting how the movie always, like, screws things up? Okay, I'm recording. <laughs> so, we rewi- We decided to rewind and listen to it a couple of times. <laughs> and we're going to keep the fart in, because it's funny. <laughs> Alright, now I have to remember where I was, because my eyes are watering, because I was laughing so hard. Okay, ready? Klaus said, um, notebooks, grab my triplets, now I have to find myself. Okay. Powdered face woman. Um, the uh, that was when um he kicked Klaus yep. in the stomach. Okay, pried it loose. Okay, I'm just gonna start from here. Count Olaf, who had been running slower without his shoes, had reached the car with and with a deafening roar, he grabbed Klaus's hand and pried it loose from the car door. As the car door slammed shut, Olaf kicked Klaus in the stomach, sending him falling to the ground and landing with a rough thump near the quagmire's notebooks that he had dropped. The, <laughs> the villain towered over Klaus and villain towered over Klaus and gave him a sickening smile. Then leaned down and picked up the notebooks and tucked them under his arms. No! Klaus screamed, but Count Olaf merely smiled and stepped into the front seat and began driving away. Just as Violet Sunny and Sunny reached their brother, clutching his stomach. Klaus stood up and tried to follow his sisters, who were trying to chase the long black car, the long black car, but Olaf was driving over the speed limit, and it was simply impossible after a few yards of the Baudelaire's to stop. The quagmire triplets climbed over the powdered-faced woman and began to pound on the rear car of the window, a rear window of the car. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny could not hear what the quagmires were screaming through the glass. They only saw their desperate, terrified faces. But the only powdered, but then the powdery hands of Count Olaf's assistants grabbed them and pulled them back from the window. The faces of the quagmire triplets faded into nothing, and the Baudelaire saw nothing more of the car that pulled away. We have to go after them, Violet screamed. Her face streaked with tears. She turned to face Nero and Mr. Poe, who were pausing. For breath on the edge of the lawn. We have to go after them. Call the police, Mr. Poe gasped, with the wi- wiping his sweaty forehead with the handkerchief. They must have an advanced computer system, too. They'll catch them. Where's the nearest phone, Nero? You can't use my phone, Poe, Nero said. You brought these three terrible, cheating children here. Now, and thanks to you, my greatest gym teacher is gone and oh took yep, and took two students with him. The Baudelaire are triple expelled. Now see here, Nero, Poe said, be reasonable. The Baudelaire sunk into the brown grass, weeping with frustration and exhaustion. They paid no attention to the argument between Vice Principal Nero and Mr. Poe, because they know from the prisons of their experience they that by the time that the adults had decided on a course of action that Count Olaf would be long gone. This time, Count Olaf had not merely escaped, but escaped with friends of theirs, and the Baudelaire's wept as they thought that they might never see the triplets again. They knew that they were wrong about this. They, oh, they were wrong about this, but they had no way of knowing that they were wrong, and just imagining what Count Olaf might be doing to their dear friends made them only weep harder. Violet wept, thinking of how the Quagmires had been had been to her and her siblings upon the Baudelaire's arrival at this dreadful academy. Klaus 
we're almost done. Klaus wept, thinking of how the Quagmires had risked their lives to help his sisters escape him and his sisters escape from Count Olaf's clutches, and Sonny wept, thinking of the research that the Quagmires had done and the information that they had not had time to share with her and her siblings. The bottle the boiler orphans hung on to one another and wept and wept till the adults argued endlessly behind them. Finally, as I'm sorry to say, Count Olaf forced the quagmires into a puppy costume so he could sneak them into the airplane without anyone noticing. Okay, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Ugh. The Baudelaire's, yeah, cried themselves out and just sat on the lawn together in weary silence. They looked, they looked up at the smooth gray stone of the tombstone buildings that are, and at the arch with the Prufrock Preparatory School sign, enormous black letters in the motto, memento mori printed beneath they looked out at the edge of the lawn where count olaf had snatched the quagmire notebooks and they took so long took long long looks at one another the baudelaire's remembered as i'm sure that you remembered in times of extreme stress that one can find energy hidden in the most exhausted areas of the body and klaus violet and sunny felt that energy surge in them now what did duncan shout to you violet asked what did he shout to you from the car and what was in the notebooks? VFD, Klaus said, but I don't know what that means. Seed you, Sonny said, which meant we have to find out. The older Baudelaire's looked at their sister and nodded. Sonny was right. The children had to find their secret VFD and the dreadful things that the Quagmires had discovered. Discovered Perhaps it could help them rescue the two triplets. Perhaps it could bring Count Olaf to justice. And perhaps it could... This is the last page could somehow make it clear, make a clear, mysterious, and deadly ways, and their lives have become so unfortunate. Morning breeze blew through the campus of Prufrock Preparatory School, rustling through the brown lawn and knocking against the stone arches with the motto printed on it, Memento Mori, remember, you will die. The Baudelaire orphans looked up at the memento and vowed that before they did, but before they died, they would solve this dark and complicated mystery that cast a shadow on their lives. Yep. This book is ridiculous. Okay, go potty.